Um, we have been going through the book of Revelation, um, and we are still going through the book of Revelation. So we have got to chapter 3, and we are in verse 7 at the moment. We're looking at the different churches. There are seven churches that Jesus speaks directly to in this book, and we are at... Actually, what, what number are we on? Number five, is it? I can't remember now. Number six, can't remember. But we're on, we're on the, the church at Philadelphia anyway. So let's just pray for a moment to settle our hearts. And uh, then we are going to come to God's word. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, that you are the Lord and God over all. And that your name is worthy of praise. And thank you for the privileges to come and to declare that. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have to do that. And... Lord, we thank you for the word that you give us. And Father, we pray now as we come to it that you would just settle our hearts, just open up our ears, uh, our hearts, our minds to hear your voice. I pray you speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Revelation, and we're in chapter 3, and we're starting to read at verse 7. It says this, To the angel of of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are in the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write also on them my new name. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Philadelphia was situated in a very strategic place, which went from Rome right across to the east. And because of that, it became known as the gateway into the east. It's also actually referred to as Little Athens because of the number of temples that were in this city. So in many ways, this place was a place of of tremendous opportunity. However, it had one major problem. It was prone to earthquakes. And Philadelphia sat on a geological fault. So in 17 BC, it was destroyed by a severe earthquake, which also destroyed 10 other cities as well, including the city of Sardis. The city was rebuilt, and 
helped, uh, with the help of um, Emperor Tiberius, who generously let them off from paying taxes for five years. In exchange for this, the city actually renamed their city New Caesar in honour of him. The problem is this would have put a huge amount of pressure on any small church who existed within this, this particular city because they couldn't, in fact, they wouldn't call Caesar Lord. So they would have been overlooked both financially and politically. They would also have very little social power or influence within this city. So as we read about this city in Philadelphia, this, this church in Philadelphia, this is a church that is small. It's small in number, it's small in finance, it's it's small in influence. A church who doesn't have the history or the influence of Ephesus, nor the riches of Laodicea, nor the reputation of that of Sardis. In fact, this church is described as having little strength. But this church has one thing. In fact, it's one really important thing. This church has God and the word of God. C.S. Lewis writes, he says, He who has God and many other things has no more than he who has God alone. And this church has everything that it needed. Someone else has said that the church's vision should not be determined by the size of the congregation or by the size of its finances, but by the size of of God. And he is infinite. So what an amazing comfort, what an amazing encouragement to a church that is small, to a church that seems to have nothing but God, because they have everything, everything that they need. So as Jesus introduces himself to this church, to this small, this weak church in Philadelphia, he describes himself as the leader who is holy and true. Listen to his words, verse 7. These are the words of him, the words of Jesus, who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And as Jesus declares his awesome holiness, he is actually declaring that he is God. And of course he is. And Jesus is holy in his character, He's holy in his words, in his actions, and in his purposes. And there is nothing and there is no one that can be compared to him. But he is also the one who is true, genuinely true. He is the original. He's not an imitation. He's not a copy. He is authentically the one and only true God. In fact, what else? would you want from a leader other than holiness and truth? Actually, perhaps one more thing. A leader who is powerful over all the rulers and all the nations, the one who is sovereign in his authority over everything. And that is who he is. And in Jesus Christ, you have everything that you need that will sustain you in the challenges of this life, that will sustain a church through the difficulties or even the stresses that it may or may not go through. And as Jesus speaks to this small church, to this, to this church in Philadelphia, he speaks five words of encouragement into this situation. 
And listen, those five words of encouragement can apply to any small church, even today. The first thing is this. Jesus opens the door for mission. In verse 7, Jesus quote, is quoting from the prophecy, the prophecy from Isaiah, Isaiah 22, 22, where it says, I will place on his shoulders the key of the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And this prophecy talks about Eliakim. Now, Eliakim was the faithful servant, the faithful steward of King Hezekiah. And he was given a place of responsibility. He was given keys of authority. But just as Eliakim in the Old Testament was given authority over the household of David to open and close doors in an earthly sense, so the job has now been given to Jesus Christ in a much more impressive sense. Jesus has the keys of the house of David, the New Jerusalem but a level of authority that Eliakim could never have even possibly have dreamed of. For Jesus, Jesus is the door of salvation, and he saves and he keeps. And Jesus has opened to us the one door that really matters, the door of the kingdom of God, the door of salvation. And we come through it through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when we turn from our sins and we turn to Jesus Christ and it's Jesus the one who calls and it's Jesus Christ the one who opens that door for each person who comes to him. Now this is a wonderful truth for any small church but actually it's not the main point. You see the main point that Jesus is getting here is yes he is our saviour but he is the one who takes small, weak churches and he opens up for them the door of ministry for them to be used in ways beyond their imagination, way beyond anything they could ever have expected. And whatever other doors seem to be closed to you, whatever other challenges you may face in life, remember Jesus is the one who has ultimate authority and what he opens, no one can close. Not even Satan himself. So throughout the New Testament, we see this idea of open doors as, as meaning ministry, as maybe mission, as, as certainly opportunities to step forward in Christ. An example is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 to 9, where Paul writes, I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened for me. And, and this is just a wonderful, a lovely picture for us to grasp. Jesus not only opens the door of the kingdom of God for those who come by faith, who put their trust in him, but he also opens the door of gospel opportunities right in front of small, often weak, maybe even disheartened churches. The question for us, are we willing to walk through that open door? Are we willing to take the opportunities that Jesus Christ has given to us that he has put right in front of us. Listen, we can never say that we have never any opportunity for mission, for, for, for mission or for ministry. Jesus Christ, he is the door opener. He alone has the power to open and to shut the doors of the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the work, the work of the gospel is ultimately the work of Jesus Christ. And because he opens doors for his people, this should surely give us hope 
even to the very smallest of churches. But we must be faithful. We must be willing to take those opportunities. We must be willing to go through the doors that Christ has opened for us. And this is so important that we understand this. See, it's not about the size or the strength of a church that determines its ministry, but it's the faith in the call and in the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if Jesus gives an open door, do you not think that he will also give us the strength and the power to be able to walk through it? To put it simply, if Jesus opens the door, you must go through it. If Jesus closes the door, you must wait. But in everything and above all, we must, we must remain faithful to him. That's the first encouragement. The second encouragement Jesus brings to a small church and to churches like Philadelphia, Jesus will overcome the church's enemies. See, Satan is always going to try and stop people from entering the kingdom of God. But more often than not, he actually uses people to carry out his dirty work. So in Philadelphia, it was the Jewish people who were opposing the local church and actually carrying out the work of Satan. So if you read in verse 9, it talks about how the synagogue is described as the synagogue of Satan, just as it was in Smyrna. And these descendants from God's ancient people were showing by their opposition of the local church, that they were no longer God's people at all. These people may have been Jews in flesh, but actually they were not true Israel in the New Testament sense. In fact, from Jesus' day onwards, the Jewish synagogue had thrown Jesus' followers out and actually shut the door on them. By the time John is writing these words in the book of Revelation, Christians are not welcome in the Jerusalem temple or even in the city itself. But where there is opposition, there is both opportunity and obstacles. However, with unbelief, all you will ever see is the obstacles. But by faith, you can begin to see the opportunities. And we must never forget it is Jesus who holds the keys. He is the one who opens the door. He is in control on what is going on on this earth. So actually, what on earth have we got to fear? What have we got to be worried about? As we keep our eyes on Jesus, our faith begins to grow. As we see God working in people's lives and in our own lives, faith begins to grow. And as it does, what looks like an obstacle can become an opportunity by the power of the Holy Spirit. However, fear, unbelief, delay, can actually cause us to miss out on God-given opportunities. But in Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome anything that comes against you. But not only do you live as overcomers, not only can you overcome these things, but actually you need to learn to be able to give that opposition or even people who come against you to be able to hand them over to Jesus, to let him deal with them. You see, if we read on in verse 9, we come to just a wonderful promise from Jesus where he says, he will take care of our enemies. You know, there's a day coming when those who do not know Jesus will acknowledge Jesus for who he really is. 
and they will recognize how much this church is loved by Jesus. In fact, Jesus will make them come and fall down at the feet of Christians. So if you are faithful to Jesus and take care of God's word, he will take care of your battles. He will vindicate you because he loves you. So when people speak evil against you, maybe they they come and and try and pull you down or, or come and cause pain to you, we need to learn to be able to hand them over to Jesus Christ. Jesus will take care of them. It's not your job to sort them out. Jesus' job. It's not your job to try and solve all those issues. It's Jesus' job. We need to learn that Jesus is the one who overcomes the church's enemies. Let us learn to trust him in everything. Second promise. The third promise is this. Jesus will protect his people. And this is wonderful. You know, our eternal future is secure. If you are a Christian, if you've invited Jesus to come into your heart this morning, your eternal future is absolutely secure in Jesus Christ. We are called to live in the very presence of God. We are sealed with his name name of ownership and his protection over our lives. So Jesus tells his church that he is going to keep them from tribulation. Verse 10. Now, for the church in Philadelphia, there was an immediate reference here to the persecution that was going to come through from the, the Romans. But there's almost certainly a reference here to a time of tribulation that John refers to later on in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 6 through to 19. The ultimate tribulation that will come against this whole earth before Jesus comes back again to establish his rule and his reign on earth. However, when we mention tribulation, as many of you will know, there are many different interpretations and views as to how and when Jesus is going to come back, come back and how this is all going to take place. So some people will say, we're actually going through that tribulation right now. And certain parts of the world, there's certainly a good argument for that, the amount of persecution among Christians in certain countries of the world. Others say, of course, that the persecution or this time of tribulation is yet to come. It's something that's going to happen much later on. Others say that Jesus is going to come back first for his church and actually take his church back home to be with him, what we commonly refer to as the rapture, and that Christians will not go through the tribulation. And it's certainly possible that the reading of this phrase, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, is maybe a reference to the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and can certainly bring a huge amount of blessing and encouragement to Christians, knowing that we're not going to have to go through that pain, those trials, that tribulation. Now, this morning I'm not going to give you the answers to what, what, what is, as many people can argue it much better than I. However, because there are, see, there are lots of other people who would argue that we will have to go through those times of trial, those times of tribulation, but that we can know God's protection and God's strength to help us and to keep us faithful to him. See, however you understand this, however you understand Jesus coming or the timing or the, 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 um, the order of Jesus' return, there is still encouragement that Jesus will never give up on you. So hold fast to what you have, to the God and to his word, 
and remember that he is all that you need. He's everything that you need. He is truly enough. The church in Philadelphia, like the church in Smyrna, faced opposition and hardship, but they alone received no criticism from Jesus. And it's worth noting this. It's also worth thinking about this, that in times of suffering, those can actually be the times of our greatest spiritual blessing. In times of plenty and peace, actually can be really dangerous for our faith. So think about it for a moment. What would you prefer? Would you rather be in a flawed but faith church or in a suffering but faithful church? Jesus says, the only door that really matters is the one into the kingdom of God. And that door is already open for you. And through it, you will receive eternal security and protection in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourth encouragement. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am coming soon. This is an amazing encouragement to any Christian who's facing persecution, suffering, or times of, of trial. Jesus is coming back, both certain and soon. And when he comes, he is going to finally bring all suffering and all pain to an end as he comes and rescues and saves his people. So Jesus, Jesus encourages us to hold on to what we have to endure, to keep going, to keep his word, to not deny him. Don't live in fear of trials. Don't live in fear of the problems of this world, even though sometimes it feels as if they are, have the potential to, to actually destroy us. Because you say, Jesus can remove them, or he can protect you through them. But either way around, Jesus says, remember that there is a day coming when he is coming back again and all pain and all suffering will be brought to an end. The problem we have today is actually not that different from what it was in the first century because they had false teachers going around telling Christians that they should never have to face trials or difficulties or any problems within their lives. The only problem was when trials then did come, as they will, people fell away from Jesus. You see, the mark of a person who is truly saved is that they endure and that they win the crown, their crown, verse 10. But if you are to believe the message of some false teachers who say, come to Jesus and life is going to be wonderful. Come to Jesus and you're going to be financially rich. Come to Jesus Christ and all your problems are simply going to go away. And then as the first sign of problems come, and listen, they are going to come, you rightfully say, you know what? This is not what I signed up for. And you will not receive a crown. Why? Because you have not trusted in the true gospel. You have trusted in a false gospel that will not or cannot truly save. You need to meet the real Jesus, to hear the true gospel. Listen, the cross of Jesus Christ is a call for repentance. It's a call to come. It's a call to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him, to endure to the end, and then 
you will receive the victor's crown. The way to God, in fact, the only way to God is through repentance and through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. There is no other way. So Jesus says, keep going. But don't forget, I am coming soon. The fifth encouragement and promise. God will honor those who are faithful. Verse 12. Let me just read verse 12 again. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. The symbolism of verse 12 would have been particularly meaningful for the church in Philadelphia. Having lived with this constant danger of earthquakes, they would understand the importance of pillars and strong pillars. And because of the stability of a pillar, they didn't need to run away or even have to leave. Now Jesus, of course, is not referring to an earthly city, but to a heavenly one that nothing can destroy, and to solid pillars that cannot fail. This is a place of stability, a place of firmness, a new city whose name will last forever. Never again will Christians have to leave it. Never again will they have to be evacuated because of fear that the walls may fall in on them. And earthquakes will never affect this city any more than sin or trials will be seen there. Of course, God's pillars are not made of stone because there is no temple in this new heavenly city. Read about it in Revelation 21, verse 22. His pillars are the faithful people who live for him and who bring honor and bring glory to his name. So listen to the promise of Jesus to those who are faithful. You are secure in God. He is your foundation and you can never be shaken and never destroyed. But Jesus adds one more promise, one more amazing thing to what he's saying here. Just in the same way, if you have something of great value, you put your name on it and you put your address on it and you mark it, you mark it as your own. So Jesus says to you, you are mine. My home is yours. You are secure in me. And listen, as a mark, as a mark of the certainty of this, I will write my new name on my faithful people. So Jesus is the one who invites, who calls, who builds, who renames, who eternally secures a city and a kingdom for his people at his own expense. And he shares his glory with them. And Jesus Christ comes to you this morning through salvation to offer a new name, a new kingdom, a new city, a new heaven, a new life, a new security. With Jesus Christ, you have everything that you need. He is all that you need. So even, even in your weakness, you are strong in him. Even in those darkest moments, 
you find your strength only and always in Jesus Christ. Now there's a great deal to reflect on and to be encouraged about in Jesus' words to this, this church in Philadelphia. So Freedom Church, let's take courage. Let's take encouragement from the very words of Jesus Christ. You see, by this world's standards, we are a small church. In proportion to the number, to, in proportion to other churches, we are numerically small. We don't have the financial spending of other places. We don't have the influence of larger churches. And even as a movement of churches as part of, of New Frontiers, we actually are relatively small in comparison to others. However, God is at work. And God is saving people here in Chester. And I pray for more. I pray that God would continue to, to pour out his blessing in that area. But we have been a privilege to, to baptize four people this year so far to see many others growing in their faith and their love for Jesus. You know, it's wonderful to hear stories of what God is doing among our young people, to see the joy and the passion that they have for Jesus. It's wonderful to be part of church planting, to be exploring a church plant, maybe in Crewe and Nantwich area, and exploring what is God doing in those areas. So let's keep going. Let's keep pressing forward through the doors that Jesus Christ has opened for us. God has called us to walk faithfully in the gospel. Let us remember that Jesus Christ is enough and that the answer to our church is the holy, the true, the sovereign Lord who saves and who sustains. Let us keep ourselves centered on him alone and expect him to work through us for the advancement of his kingdom and for the glory and for the honor of his precious name. Let's just pray. Father, we give you glory. Lord, we thank you that you are our Saviour, that you are our Lord. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are coming soon, that you are there to equip your church, that you will honour those who are faithful before you, that you, Lord, will pour out your blessing, Lord, that you will overcome our enemies, that you will protect your people, Lord, that you are faithful in so many ways. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the one who opens up the door for mission. And Lord, we pray, Lord, over Freedom Church this morning. Lord, we pray, Lord, for an outpouring of your spirit, for an outpouring of your blessing. Lord, we pray, God, that you, as you open doors, Father, give us the faith and give us the strength. And in your power, Lord, by your spirit, Lord, help us to walk through those doors. Lord, for your honour and for your glory. So, Lord, we pray, Lord, just for your equipping at this time. Lord, as we just reflect over these quieter summer months, Lord, as we, as we look to what you're, you're doing among us, Father, we pray, Lord, just have your way, Lord. But in, in all of this, Father, I pray that our hearts would be both repentant and faithful before you, our God. So, Lord, we give all honour and all glory for what you have done, for where you've brought us to this point, but Lord, we give you honour and glory and thanks for what you're going to do, Lord, tomorrow and in, the, in this year ahead of us. And Father, we pray that we walk with you in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.